This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. This is my first episode of 2022, so Happy New Year. Unfortunately, the same as the old year as Omicron has me hiding from my fellow humans in an effort to avoid their COVID particulates. I don't think I'm particularly psycho about it, but I did just spend 90 minutes sitting outside on a coffee shop patio with temperatures in the 40s rather than sit inside and worry about what funky germs might find their way into my iced coffee. So the trade-off might be that I'm currently healthy, knock wood, but I also feel neurotic as hell. Oh well, nothing new there, unfortunately. Today, I'm talking to piano player Arthur Hanlon, who is best known for his work in the Latin music market. During the recent Christmas season, he released the EP, A Holiday Christmas Piano. And earlier in December, he released Hallelujah with singer Evaluna Montaner. Or Evaluna Montaner? I'm not sure on that one. We talked about how a white guy from Detroit ended up playing Latin music and how COVID led to his Christmas EP. I didn't hear the Latin elements in it at first, but along the way, he fills me in. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But I feel like the 2021 song I have yet to address and have to before closing out the season is Ed Sheeran and Elton John's Merry Christmas. The song nearly won the British Christmas number one derby, and it's easy to hear why. Two singers and songwriters who have mastered the art of the exceedingly agreeable recording got together and made an exceedingly agreeable recording. Like the No Frills title, the lyric is so chock-a-block with standard tropes, someone could black out a Christmas music bingo board before the Merry Christmas sing-along big finish. Here's a bit of Merry Christmas. So kiss me under the mistletoe We'll see how that holds up. There are signs that newer Christmas songs can slowly enter the Christmas canon in much the same way that Last Christmas and All I Want for Christmas as you have. Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree is gaining momentum each year, and Ariana Grande's Santa Tell Me had a good 2021 holiday season. It's easy to imagine that the pleasantness of Merry Christmas, combined with Sheeran and Nelton John's rep, could give it legs. And I got to say, that's the sort of song that right now I'm not really responding to, but I can see how time can sort of make that one become easier, uh, become easier to process. Anyway, I have also, I got to say, I have to wait until I can hear it without comparing it to 1974's Step Into Christmas. For me... That glam-influenced holiday song, fueled by equal parts amphetamine and Elton John's eagerness to please, had a push and inventiveness that I miss here. You decide. We'll hear Step Into Christmas by Elton John, and then be back on the other side with pianist Arthur Hamlin. Welcome to my Christmas song. I'd 
what's the story behind your new EP, uh, A Holiday Christmas Piano? A Holiday Christmas Piano. Um, it was really spontaneous. Uh, it actually started last year around this time. Um, you know, for the first time in years, you know, because of the pandemic, there were no airplanes, there were no concerts. I was doing everything at home and it was like killing me. I'm like, I got to create something. It's Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. What am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> and I live uh, in Miami, as I, you know, we were just talking about, on this small little place with a village green. And I spoke with the mayor. He's, you know, it's all really local. I'm like, hey, I got to do something. Can, can I just put a piano out in the, you know, by the Christmas tree and invite some kids and I'll play, from, you know, really from the heart. Uh, and that's actually what, what, what we did. And we filmed it and just threw it up, uh, you know, put it up, up on, on Facebook. And within like four or five days, it was like a million, now then two million views. And people all, all organic, too. It was like really touching. People just writing, thank you so much. You know, I really enjoyed it. And I just went for it. I just played songs that I knew, you know, since I was a kid. And <laughs> I mean, and so it was really beautiful. And then this year, Facebook contacted us a couple of months ago and said, look, that was really beautiful last year. Let's do something else. And so now we did it in a theater. And uh, again, I, I insist, I said, I really want to just do songs. You know, I started playing piano in December uh, when I was six years old. So can we just do some of my favorites? And they said, of course, whatever you want. And so we're really excited. Oh, that's great. So, by the way, I can see in our shot here. Is, is that a mirror or do you actually have two pianos in your in your living room or your, your music rooms? Um, actually, well, yeah, there's one here and there's actually two over there. Oh. So, <laughs> I, mean, I only have one car. So I, don't care about, I don't care about cars at all. <laughs> I have to ask because I'm curious now. What do the different pianos do? Why have three, two or three pianos? They have different personalities, really. They, uh, you know, as you can see, this and this one's blue, and uh, it, it, it's. I love to play it, on, you know, for like TV things like that because it's, it's got like a great cool look. And th that one back there is just a beast. It's a seven foot, and it's got a really a gr more of an aggressive sound. And the one behind it is a baby grand. You can't see it, but that's the first one I bought when I had no money and I it was twenty one years old. But that's the one I play every day. I compose on that one for oh, some really? reason. It's just. I don't know. I feel so comfortable on it, and then these other ones they're fancier, but I don't. I don't care. I I go. I gravitate towards that one every morning. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you you do you play every day? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I have to. Um, when I'm not uh, you know on the road, which these days I haven't been on the road much at all for the past year, so. <laughs> Like, no, so I've been, yeah, I you know, play in the morning. I usually do in the morning more, um, you know, I'm kind of a hybrid. I studied classical, but at the same time played in pop, pop groups my whole life and what I'm doing now. Um, so I do like classical things and things like more structured in the morning. And then right around this time, you know, 3, 4 p.m., ah, I, I, the ideas start coming. And that's when I turn my studio on and I start recording ideas. You know, you just said, said something that I was thinking about. So you have a background in both pop and classical, correct? Yes. Yeah. I feel like I hear that in your music. Um, is that intentional or is that just the way your sort of the music comes out of you? It's just how it comes out. Um, you know, again, I, I started playing really young. My, I have six brothers and sisters. My parents insisted that we all study piano. Uh, my dad's best friend in Detroit played in bars. He didn't read a note of music. 
and he was my first mentor. So he'd say, okay, play this song, you know, by ear. And so I learned by ear from a very early age. And, and I keep studying, you know, classical, so I'd do that. And then uh, <laughs> it kind of been going back and forth. And I started playing gigs in Detroit when I was like 16 um, in a lot of Motown bands. You know, Barry Gordy left for L.A., but all these guys, these amazing musicians stayed in Detroit. And they were all like mid-40s at the time when I was as a kid, but they they were like all my mentors. They helped me so much to develop my ear and, and taste and what, you know, what, what to play, what not to play. And, and you know that kind of thing. So I'm I'm like a hybrid. Yeah. I have to ask: Can you name any of those, any of those key Motown players who you knew and were who mentored? Yeah, you? I was in a band with Flip Jackson. He was Eddie Kendricks's uh, musical director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a sax player, amazing sax player. Earl Van Dyke would come in after his oh, yeah. gig. He would hear me play. I would get so nervous when he first started coming. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it was a great experience. It, and then, of course, I moved to New York where I, you know, met, fell in love with Latin music full on. And so, yeah, so my science, sound has really evolved with all these just elements that are kind of, you know, inside of me. Cool. You mentioned Latin, and that's become sort of the music you're best associated with. And I don't hear that, obviously, in the holiday Christmas piano, am I not? Am I missing it, or is it there in ways that might not sort of telegraph themselves so obviously? It's it's there. There's definitely there's Latin percussion on, on every single track, uh, and uh, certain things. But I, again, but you're right. Um, these songs are the very first songs I, I learned. Uh, Angels we have heard on high, Silent Night. Uh, so <laughs> it's just my nat- innate thing from playing them all these years from, from a kid, you know, how the, the arrangement kind of, kind of developed. Right. I have to say, one of the things I was thinking about is I recognize that I, my Latin, contemporary Latin music is a place that's, I'm not terribly familiar these days. And one of the things I was wondering is if there are Latin elements in these performances or in, the, in these arrangements that is very clear to you, but might not be clear to somebody who doesn't keep track of sort of contemporary Latin music. Well, yes. I was thinking Silent Night. It's the way I played it for, for you know, I could, it's, I'm just hearing percussion. Just, it's all, it's, it's a... That's really what the you know what's driving the whole song. the version of Carol the Bells. Am I hearing that correctly as a waltz? What's yeah, she- absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. 
great ear. <laughs> I'm, I'm in love with three, four. I'm in love with six, eight. Uh, and I, I try to put happy birthday. Any, any song you can think of, I try to put it, play it in three if possible. <laughs> <laughs> Why make that choice for Carol the Bells? It just kind of can't... I think it's interesting. That song has been one that has come up a lot this in the last two or three months talking to different uh, different guests on the show. And and everybody has talked about what a challenge it is that on one hand, it's such a beautiful piece of music that you really want to do something with it. But there's also ways where it's so repetitive that it becomes a real challenge. How do you make such a beautiful piece of music live? Um, yeah. And in your case, it was very clear. I could hear, I could hear sort of the gentle sweep of, uh, of, the, of the waltz in there. And like, that seems like such a, a lovely idea. And especially because when you think of a bell's movement, a bell's movement is ding dong. You think of a movement in two and to put it into three is like, that seems like a really cool way to sort of keep that, make that motion slightly more poetic. Yeah, Alex, you're absolutely right. And, and also the challenge is, you know, there's so many awesome versions of it, you know, Mannheim Steamroller, uh, George Winston, who's got a cool, everyone, there's all these great versions of, okay, what can Arthur Hamlin do that's different that people, you know, and that's his, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how do you make it your own? How do you stay loyal to it, but at the same time, make it your own? the space you recorded in you recorded this it was, yeah it's it's called uh, church by the glades it's, it's uh we were looking for a space I, I just was going to do it in the village green again here with my band and then uh sony said no you know what just check out this place uh they do a lot of music there and it's just this glorious stage with uh this huge like 90 literally a 90 foot led uh screen and images, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> the actual theater, you know, and we could partition the, the bass and, and all the instruments off so the sound doesn't bleed. And uh, it, it was, it worked out perfectly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things I was thinking about your performances and these arrangements is that they're really big, dramatic performances in even down to like drum sounds that I associate with more with arena rock. And I was, where does that sense of drama come from? Well, you know, it's probably my love of Christmas, uh, a combination. Yeah, I'd say it starts with, with that more than anything. Uh, you know, to me, Christmas, what is it? It's powerful. It's it's bigger than life. It's, it's majestic. It's full of magic. Um, when I was six, um, as I was saying, it, 
Uh, I first met a piano in my life. Uh, my, my dad bought a small piano for a Christmas present for the kids. And these guys delivered it. And a half an hour later, his best friend, who was a, uh, the guy that didn't uh, read music, came over and started playing. And the man sat down and just started playing. And I was like freaking out. I was, I was in a trance. And my six brothers and sisters were dancing around the house. And this was three days before Christmas. So, you know, it, it wasn't just a piano. It was like the smell of the wood in the keys and the, the fresh brand new strings, you know. And then uh, he started playing Silent Night. Uh, and he taught me how to play it by ear at, at that age. And so, you know, so Christmas is all that to me. It's just this, you know, it's it's magical and it's it's majestic. Oh, that's great. So what was, what Christmas music was big in your house growing up? And mostly the standards, you know, pretty much uh, everything. And of course, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> I don't know why, but that song since I was a kid, I, my, my parents loved it, obviously. So they would, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> was, were there records or was, how quick did, how quick did the piano become a part of the way Christmas music factored into your holidays? Or did it? For me, it, uh, it was always there. Um, you know, I have a big family and my father has got a big family. He has eight brothers and sisters. And Christmas, you know, they all come over and what else? Arthur is going to play piano for us. My uncles would be, you know, partying or whatever and celebrating and uh, I would be playing. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> did, you, did you start at that point to connect performance with positive response from people around you? Wow, great question. I, you know, I never thought about it, but you're, you're probably right. Uh, to this day, I, I think I was seven or eight, and my uncle gave me $2. And he goes, you know, this is the first money, you're going to make money playing this instrument. I, I guarantee it. And this is the first money you'll ever Wow. <laughs> and I still remember he gave me two bucks, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, it's funny. I've talked to a number of people who other performers who have found that realized much later that the time they spent, like it'd be Christmas Eve and like someone at the family, someone at the family would play and that they would like sing and realizing that watching everybody paying attention and watching everybody be excited by what they were doing sort of turned on the light before they realized, but you know, the starting to think maybe there's a future in this. Wow, Alex, yeah, you can, you're completely right. And, and as I said, my my father, you know, insisted that we all took lessons for a while, and so my two sisters would play, and they would like hate getting up there. And but then I was like, let me play, let me play. Let me play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's why it was the early adulation and the wow, everyone's watching me. Uh, you know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Were there were there Christmas records you loved? Oh God, my mother loved uh, my grandmother too, uh, Mario Lanza. This is old Italian singer that had sure. these, you know, belting out these. Maybe that's where the drama comes from. Also. <laughs> <laughs> The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and sorrow pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn all on your knees oh hear the angel voices You've actually started recording Christmas music a ways back. I think, do I have 2008? Is that your, your another version of Carol the Bells? Is that your first Christmas word. recording? Yeah, yeah. I obviously really like that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm always looking for a way, what can I do for for Christmas? And sometimes years it worked out, some years it didn't. And ironically, last year, when there wasn't going to be any music, I was able to do something you know, positive and, uh, you know, try to create some positive energy for, for Christmas, which worked out. That version, I don't want to go too long, but that version of Carol the Bells is more electronic. Do I remember yeah. that correctly? Uh-huh. What influenced that choice? I just getting together with the producer, the Milton Salcedo, we just were playing around with different ideas. And at the time, it just seemed really cool. And it's ironic, it maybe because of the pandemic, uh, in thinking about oh, what can I do to care for Carol of the Bells and what it's much more organic uh, in this one uh, holiday Christmas you know the, with, with all the live Latin percussion and the bell all that stuff and you know it's interesting how your mind kind of takes you uh, and, and your emotions take you in, into a, into a one direction or the other yeah yeah it's interesting that you would think about I mean one do, one one way to go would be what is the most practical way to make the music. But the other is, what's the way that I want to make the music? And in a COVID year, what's something you want more than to be around other musicians? Oh, exactly. Um, it's funny you say that. I was just talking about, uh, you know, I have an HBO special out right now called Piano y Mujer. Uh, and that was going to be recorded. Okay, there, you know, Sony was like, okay, you do your pianos and uh, the female artists will all do the things separately. But we got together, we were on the phone, like, no way, we're doing this live. And we did. And, you know, the singles, Alleluia with Eluna Montaner. And we not only are we doing it live, but we need a gospel choir. We have to have a <laughs> gospel. And Tony, but that's not in the budget. It's, we don't care. It's, it's got to be there. Yeah. And they finally let it, and it, it makes it glorious. It really does. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> did, did y'all have to take measures to make sure that the performance was safe? Oh yeah, we, we recorded uh, live in the studio, and and then last October we found this hotel called the Fiena here in Miami, which which has a beautiful, uh, you know, theater. They were the hotel was completely shut down; it was closed for because of COVID. And we you know had this idea. They said, "Okay, yeah, go for it. You can use it for a week." And so, okay, great. And so we turned the theater into a soundstage, and there were nurses all over the place running around, taking everyone. 
it, it was still nerve wracking. It was interesting now, the energy that the COVID created. Um, Connie Garcia was an incredible vocalist from Puerto Rico. She shows up and she's got a mask on and a shield and I had two masks on and we're looking at each other like with this look in our eyes like, what are we doing? This is insane. <laughs> this is, yeah. uh, uh. But, then, but then we took everything off and you know, everyone was tested. We started playing and that the musical energy that we've been pent up just kind of came out and it, it was really, I'm getting, it was just amazing to be able to perform again and, you know, and share the stage with such, such amazingly talented women. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. That sounds like an excellent, you know, this is going to be one of those things where so many people are going to have these really emotional stories to tell in the future. Uh, you know, last year, and when I was, inter- was I interviewing people about, you know, for this podcast about making Christmas music. And for so many of them, you know, it was their COVID project. And yeah. in a number of cases, it was something that when the year started, they didn't have uh, a Christmas record in the budget. Uh, it wasn't on the schedule. They were going to be touring. They were going to be doing this or that. And because COVID shut everything down, there came a moment of, what do we do? And eventually, just sort of finding this social music that was sort of in everybody's memories and songs that any mus- any functional musician, you could probably knock out a version of a lot of these songs or get close enough quickly that putting together a Christmas record was something that you could do reasonably quickly. And it became this really therapeutic project that was born partly out of opportunity and partly out of desperation. And it became really emotionally important to a lot of people. Wow, that's that's profound. And I agree completely. And I can see, you know, it's so commercialized generally. Now I got this tour, okay, I'm done in the middle of December. I'm going to be tired after that. So, you know, so you won't do anything. When last year there were no planes, there were no concerts pretty much. And it really kind of brought out what Christmas, the essence of what Christmas really is. You know, it's a time for reflection on the past and the hope for the future and all those really genuine and organic things that, sometimes get lost in the, you know, you know all the, <laughs> and it really brought out this profound music from so many different artists, which is amazing. Yeah. So I have to ask, is Christmas music good business for you? Is it good for business? Uh, let's see. Uh, last year I, you know, I played the, like a little drummer boy. I went out in the village green and played, you know, just out of my heart. I made zero dollars, but it was good for me. It was so fulfilling. It's one of the most fulfilling things I, I've ever done musically. Right. You know, we had like 50 kids out there uh, and they were all listening. They knew all the songs and it, it was amazing, you know. So in that regard, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> sure. Now, I get that and I understand that. But there is ultimately, if you're a recording artist there is a dollar and cents value. And in a lot of cases, I, I often wonder if there's a value beyond like, yes, recording these songs will get, you know, it'll sell X amount, but is there something else that goes along or accompanies that, that becomes ultimately valuable to you as a, uh, you know, as a, as a commercial property? I mean, which obviously you're selling records. There's a part that's, that's a part of your world. Have you had a chance to think at all about that, how it plays into the big picture of the Arthur Hanlon business? 
Um, wow, I haven't, you know, but you're right. It is called, it's called the music business for a reason. Right. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you this, this album that, that came out, I brought it up, you know, we decided to do it. Uh, you know, Facebook was, you know, because of last year, the success that we had, they said, no, let's do it again. And so I just, I've delivered this project just because I wanted to do it. And I'm getting, I should be getting the contract for something that's already done. Probably <laughs> next Honestly, I should, you know, but I'm, I'm going to say, no, give me the contract before I record my favorite Christmas songs in this beautiful theater. Uh, you know, I, you know, <laughs> sure. I get that. <laughs> now, in 2008, you released Esta Navidad with vocals by, is it Hanina? Hanina, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's one of the few, I mean, I know you've got other songs with vocalists. That's one of the few Christmas songs you have with a vocalist, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. How does that affect, how does having a singer affect the way you play it as a musician? It, it's a, a lot. It's really... It's a challenge for me because as a pianist, it'd be very easy to say, okay, you sing your part and I'll play the piano part and we, you know, a singer and accompaniment. But I don't see it like that at all. I see, you know, it's two different elements. What kind, we need to make a synergy, you know, to make something greater than the sum of just the two parts of uh, me playing the piano and you singing, if that makes sense. So I always try, like with Piano y Mujer also, you know, we sat down for a week before, you know, I mean, on the phone at least, and talking and going to the studio and making something that's so, you know, that's, that you can't separate. It's that's so, you know, intertwined. Because the people will realize that it's, it's not just, okay, someone sang in the studio, they sent me the vocal line, then I played on top of that. And, you know, people can tell at some level or, or another whether right. that's the way you did it, whether you did it really organically. in part because one of the most fascinating experiences I've had at a concert was watching the New Orleans piano legend, uh, Alan Toussaint, playing uh-huh. with Elvis Costello. And I was <laughs> at Toussaint's side of the stage where I could see, see his, his piano. And what was fascinating was that when in, all, in the instrumental passages, Alan was all over the keyboard and was you know showing you so much of what you recognize from Alan as a player, 
But the vocal passages that he moved to the middle of the piano and was playing much calmer. Uh, and, you know, he was still there and he was still rhythmically, you know, a, a master. But he was at that moment becoming clearly less obtrusive and less signature as the thoughts were, as the attention was clearly at that point on uh, Elvis Costello's vocal. Uh-huh. And so I'm wondering for you as a, you know, since so much of your music, a bunch of your music is instrumental, what changes when, how you change the way you play when you're moving to a, uh, when you're having to sing with, or perform with a singer? Um, yeah, it's a different, for example, uh, the first, the single, which is just released again, because uh, it did really well, Alleluia, which I recorded, you know, um, being from Detroit, I grew up playing a lot of blues and everything. And, uh, and Evaluna is, 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 you know her at all. She's a incredibly sweet, extremely spiritual, you know, vocalist. It's so, like, what song would work for that? You know, some guy that played blues in the streets of Detroit in, in, in a spiritual angel-like voice. Right. And it occurred to me, Hallelujah, but that was the whole thing. So how can I, you know, so I started in the studio just doing like a, just a... Laying kind of down a bluesy thing that she could she could go on top of, and then after she finished, you know, then the piano solo opens up, and that's kind of what you're explaining with what you know New Orleans, you know, something that's that's just us together. Yeah, yeah, it was really fascinating to, you know, to, to have an insight into how the piano fits in, and and how as a, as a piano player you have to think about what you know what everyone else is doing. So that you end up, you know, so that the, the, the piece as a whole is at the best it can be as opposed to just, you know, the best display of your, uh, this best display of your abilities, which isn't always the same thing. Yeah, yeah you're, exactly. And, you know, and when you're playing solo piano, you're throwing your head back and you want to, <laughs> oh, this is another, you know, another vibe, another deal. You're playing with some, you, you know, the two of you have got to create something as, as, as one, you know, to, to, to present to the people. Yeah. So what do you want listeners to get from your holiday music? Wow. I hope, um, you know, yeah, I'm playing the piano and I'm playing the melody and everything. But to me, like my whole life, this is so much more than just an instrument. For me, it's like, like a, it's almost like a vehicle, you know, and I hope that when I'm playing, I can transport or someone can sit down and listen and I can take them to another place maybe in another place in their lives when they first heard it or that reminds them of something or in the future that gives them some kind of inner internal energy when they're listening. That's my goal in uh, my challenge whenever I'm, I'm playing to, you know, to do that. So I hope when they listen that they can really get absorbed into the music and it'll take them to a happy place. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks to Arthur for the time and the talk. Thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already done so, do what you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed. We're also now on the iHeartRadio platform and Amazon. With the latter, it means that you can now tell Siri, if you're an Apple person, or Alexa, if you get your podcast on Amazon, to play the 12 Songs of Christmas podcast and get your new episode hands-free while you're doing something else. Earlier, I said that Ed Sheeran and Elton John's Merry Christmas nearly won the British Christmas number one. It was beaten by a version of itself, which is one reason I love the national obsession with Christmas number ones in England and British people. The number one song on the charts on Christmas Day was Sausage Rolls for Everyone by Lad Baby, which is a novelty song written as a riff on Ed and Elton's Merry Christmas, but with lines added in about sausage rolls. Only in England is the novelty version of a song preferred to the original when they battle head-to-head. I also love that Lad Baby currently owns the Christmas number one contest, having been number one on Christmas Day for the last four years, each time with another sausage roll-themed parody of a beloved song. To finish out today, we'll go out with Lad Baby's Sausage Rolls for Everyone. Talk to you next week. Build a fire and gather round the tree Come and sing and dance to sausage rolls with me. Here we go. We are back trying to make history for charity. And may I introduce you, Ed Sheeran and Sir Elton John. No pressure. Let's have a party, it's Christmas Day Your mum's cooking turkey But been moaning since yesterday The presents are open